0: Emergency Medical Minute presents Mental Health Monthly. We have Dr. Anatskeva to talk about trauma, grief, and loss in the time of COVID-19 as it pertains to frontline healthcare workers and first responders take it away or not. So let me say a couple of words about who we're talking about, and that is the essential workers. So essential workers are individuals identified by CISA, which is the DHS department that deals with individuals who are essentials to keep the society and economy going. Frontline workers are individuals that are required for society and economies not only to continue and function, but also for the well-being of the individuals. Usually, they are individuals who cannot work from home. First responders are a subset of those frontline workers, and those are the individuals. Again, they're very clearly delineated, but included among them are um, police, emergency medical services, firefighters. So these are the groups we're speaking about. So there is a large subset of frontline workers who belong to minority groups. And as such, they're already starting out more tax than the general population. And what that means is that when they are required to perform their jobs, they have a lot less both internal and external resources to meet those needs. So when they go out day after day, exposing themselves again and again, they're basically dealing with what all of us experience with COVID, which is the fear of being infected, the fear of transmitting it to our loved ones, all those things that all of us who are not necessarily first responders, frontline, or even essential workers, they deal with it at much greater rates than the rest of us. And they're already starting out more taxed. So essentially, they're incurring many, many, many losses. And if we don't help them deal with their grief, we're making them more vulnerable to the negative effects thereof. So I talked a little bit about loss and grief, and loss is essentially either not having access to or having something important to us taken away. And there's lots of losses. There can be physical loss, loss of health, loss of life. There can be emotional losses. Um, So disappointment, there can be professional losses, there can be spiritual losses, and in times of COVID, we just experience more of these losses. And just like there's many types of loss, there are also many ways of grieving these losses. And grief is what we do with that loss, how we manage it. This is a good opportunity to talk a little bit about the difference between loss and grief and trauma. And unlike these two, trauma is a more extreme situation. A traumatic event is one in which the external or internal demands exceed our ways to cope with it. And that's a very fancy way of saying we're overwhelmed, we're kind of floored, we don't know what to do and how to do it. So experiencing a traumatic event is not as rare as one would think. About 70% of the population will experience a traumatic event at some point in their life. And with it, actually having trauma symptoms and having a diagnosis, which means you have enough trauma symptoms that qualify for such, is only for 6.8% of the population. So when we talk about first responders and frontline workers, they don't need to have trauma in order to actually experience loss and experience and need to grieve that loss. And if we don't spend time on how to grieve adequately, we're putting them at a disadvantage. So some symptoms of grief and loss, and we need to remember we experience grief and loss in our bodies. So the symptoms we're going to um, notice most immediately are really those of sleep. So sleeping too much, not sleeping enough, feelings of agitation, So motivation or lack thereof, that's the direction that it usually goes, is not finding meaning, not finding pleasure, not finding connection, so wanting to isolate, not wanting to do things that we usually do. So if you work out, if you garden, if you have pets, if you have a family and you spend time with them, suddenly feeling like it's more of a burden. And um, overeating, undereating, all those things. So the physiological and motivational components are very big. And it's important to keep in mind the fact that grief and loss are very, very real. And if at any point you find that you or someone you deeply care about is expressing hopelessness, expressing um, or engaging in behaviors that can be um, self-harming, that that's when it's important to not go at it alone and actually seek professional help. I spoke about the need for healthy grieving and there actually is a roadmap and we need to always remember that a roadmap is great because if you go somewhere for the first time, you have no idea where you're going and what you're doing and then relying on what other people have experienced can actually shorten the, the hard knocks. So the roadmap I like to use is that of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and she worked with dying and um, grief of death. So that model is not necessarily um, researched on COVID, but it's a good way to wrap our minds around what to expect. And again, everyone is different. Not everyone goes through these um, stages in the same way. It's not a one and done. Once you go through a stage, you kind of go through the cycle. Sometimes you skip a few of the typical stages. Sometimes you kind of go on repeat over and over again. And with each repeat, we are shortening the time it takes us to come to some measure of resolution and peace before the next go around. Another really important component of grief and loss is that it has a tendency of reawakening past losses. So even if we've resolved previous loss effectively, but even more importantly, if we have not, those losses come back with a new loss. And so if we've resolved it adequately in the past, if we've integrated into our experience and made it useful, then the new loss will reawaken that pain, but it's not going to be a full-on plunge into the deep end. If we haven't resolved it well, then it can compound what we're feeling in the moment and make things very, very difficult and potentially kind of knock us on our rear end. The model of grief that I just spoke about briefly has a a couple of stages, we like to call them DABDA for short, and they are denial, anger, bargaining, despair, or depression, however you want to call it, and acceptance. And each of these stages has typical ways of thinking, of feeling. Um, I like to think that they're all very adaptive, they serve a purpose. So it's really important that even when I describe them and they sound a little caricature-like, to realize that they have a purpose and that they're adaptive. But like everything in life, when you have a hammer and everything looks like a nail, it's not going to be very effective. And so we need to vary our approaches based on what is thrown at us. So if I want to brush my hair or saute an omelet in, um, on a hammer, it's not going to work. So I need a variety of tools, and that's where this model that shows us the different stages comes into play, because every stage has its own tools of how we can help ourselves and help those we care about traverse that challenge. So I'll start with the first, and the first one is the denial. And denial is the desire to keep reality at bay. We don't want to see it as a big and major life-changing event. We kind of just want to keep doing what we've been doing because it's worked for us. So denial, it can sound like this is overblown, this is a media circus, nothing really big is happening, everyone gets the flu, it's not a big deal. The, the adaptive quality of it is that you can just keep on doing what you've been doing. You don't need to change anything. You can put one foot in front of the other and live your life. Where it stops being adaptive is when we don't take the precautions. And if you think specifically of first-line responders, denial is huge and super helpful because they can just keep on doing what they're doing well, and they don't need to do anything different. It becomes a problem when they're putting themselves at higher risk of exposure, for example. So if they don't um, wash their hands, use the face masks, do everything that we know to do social distancing, then they're putting themselves at an even higher risk. So what you do with that, and really denial is the hardest phase to get through because people in denial don't even think they're in a phase. They think that's just how things are and everyone else is making a big deal. And in those cases, you just let reality kind of seep in. If someone you know is in denial, um, just shoving it in their face is going to get you the opposite reaction because they're going to push back. What would be more helpful is to plant seeds and maybe encourage and model how to contemplate the other perspective, the one that you don't necessarily ascribe to. Once reality has pushed enough and there's really no denying it, then comes anger. And in anger, we're essentially meeting that outside world by pushing really hard on it. There's um, an element of blame and anger. Well, obviously that's the name of the phase, anger about having to change because nobody likes to change. Things are the way they are because they worked out. And if now I have to change it, that requires effort from me. I now need to do all these things I didn't do before, and I am upset. So a lot of that blame can be what people think or say. The verbal expression of it would be, you know, it's all China's fault. If they just quarantined earlier, we wouldn't have to deal with it. Or if you're on the other side of the spectrum, then you blame the government. Nobody was prepared, and now we all have to suffer. The anger is an attempt to... Continue doing what we've been doing with minimal changes. And in anger, we know that it's adaptive because we actually are finally fired up to do something about the situation. When it stops being adaptive, and we all know angry people is that they push everyone around them very far away, and sometimes they kind of override reality, and that's not very healthy. And what you do to help someone or yourself when you're in the angry phase is you express it, and you also soothe it. So it's not enough to just express it because we know that what we do gets strengthened. So if we just express and express and express anger endlessly, we're encouraging more of it. So we do need to let out some of that pent up energy, but we also need to know when to rein it back in and to soothe. And soothing happens with distraction. It happens with doing things that we like that are safe. It happens through connecting with others. And it's really important that connecting peace. Once we've kind of let out enough of that pent up energy, the typical phase is that bargaining. So bargaining can be with ourselves. It can be with another person. It can also be with a higher power. And in bargaining, what we do is essentially we realize that there's no fighting this outside force. So fine, fine. I'll I'll wear the mask. I'll wash my hands. I'll socially distance. And then hopefully I don't get sick. Hopefully I don't transmit it to my kids. So, if we have a religious bent, we might come back to bargaining with a higher power and say, if I can just keep my job for long enough, I will start attending services more regularly. We can also bargain with our loved ones. Tell our kids, if you do these three things that are going to keep you and us safe and grandma and grandpa who live with us, then You will get something. We try and negotiate and keep all those negative fears that we have about the outside out. There is an adaptive quality because we realize what's important to us. We realize that safety is important to us. We realize our loved ones are important to us. We realize our job is important to us. In, in a slightly twisted way, it refocuses us on what's important in our lives. Where it stops being adaptive is anyone who's engaged in an unending bargaining session or something of that nature. It's exhausting. It's just really tiring after a while and we are drained at the end. And that is the lead-in to the next phase of despair and depression. And that's the first time that reality hits us like a ton of brick, and there's nowhere to go and nothing to do. And we know that this is for real, and we know that this is, this is the new normal. And something things that people think about is kind of fall into the, the holes that these losses leave within us. And there's, there's no future. Everything I wanted was taken away from me. I'm not going to have that graduation. I'm not going to have that prom. Um, for some people, I'm not going to have the wedding I wanted to have. For some people, this is not the birth I wanted for my kids family reunions, graduations, all kinds of milestones get either pushed into the future or just canceled altogether. And that's, that's beyond disappointing. These are the things we wait for. These are the things that give meaning to our lives and not having that is very, very painful and further demoralizing. So depression is kind of like a, or despair is a a downward cycle. One would wonder what's adaptive about depression, but that is the Point of transformation as far as I understand it. Because when we let it in, it cooks us, it transforms us. We're no longer the person we were before. It's not just changing our behaviors. It's not just changing our practices. It's, ch- it's changing who we are so that we are adapted to this new normal. Again, as I said before, depression is, or despair is the phase where there's the greatest likelihood of self-harm and potential irreversible behaviors, I'm thinking truly of dangerousness and people who lose meaning and lose hope and lose connection. When it's fleeting, when it comes and goes, when the person still has the ability and the capacity to experience joy and meaning, it's still workable. When the person is isolating, lost hope for the future and lost meaning in the present, that's time to seek help. So I'm going to encourage if you're listening to this And what I'm saying rings a bell to go into the show notes and see some of the resources we have for you. If you need in a pinch, 911 and emergency rooms do the trick. But you can also look at our other resources and hopefully one of these things works for you. The last stage of the model is acceptance, and that is the holy grail of the whole cycle. And that's what we're shooting for. We shoot for that experience that things are okay. Maybe not in general. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not yesterday, but right here, right now, it's okay. I've lived another day to put up a fight or to just be. So after we have pushed reality outside of ourselves, after we have worked with it, after we've bargained it down and we've let it transform us in the depression and despair, that's the part where we have a little bit of a breathing room, a little bit of space to be in this new reality, and that is the acceptance. And in the first round, acceptance is very short-lived. It's kind of like little glimmers, little fireflies in the night that kind of go in and out, and we don't really, we can't hold on to them. And it's very fleeting, and we tend to kind of go right back into the cycle. And again, as I said, the, the model is not linear. We may not go right back into denial, or we might. And for some people, like after they're in enough of an acceptance or have reached it even initially, the denial hits again. You know, maybe this is not as bad as we thought it was. Maybe it's going to go away by summer. Maybe, maybe we'll find a vaccine. And then they go through it again. Some people don't go through all the phases again and again, but there is a cyclical notion. And so when someone says, I was angry a month ago, and I thought I was over it. I thought I worked it out. Well, we do and we don't, because with each iteration, we get something else from that stage. And so if you think about it as losses, as holes in one's person, one's psyche, one's soul, if you will, doing the grief work, exploring each of these emotions rather than pushing them out. So being in contact with them, acknowledging them is almost like a surveying of what that hole is in our life and how do we honor it, not ignore it, but also not drown in it. And then how do we fill it in with substance and meaning and let that make us stronger so that when the next loss happens, because it will inevitably happen, COVID or not, we are at a better place to deal with it. First responders and healthcare workers take a lot of pride in the work they do and in the competence that it takes to do the job that we do. There is some stigma and some shame around mental health. I want to reiterate again, grief and loss are normal. It's just what we do with them that really counts. There's a great Japanese concept, and I'm sorry if I'm going to butcher the the way to say it. It's kintsugi. And that is when a piece of pottery breaks and the parts are brought back together. But instead of making the seams as um, invisible as possible, it's actually reconstructed and seamed together with gold, silver, and other precious metals. And it, it's just gorgeous. I encourage you to look it up and see what it looks like. And so instead of looking at those points as breakage and damaged, and I'll never be as good as before, you can see the object with all of its beauty and how it came to be functional and beautiful again, and to have a story. So where the cracks were, now there's beauty. I think that that is the way that would be most helpful to think of our losses and what we do with that as an opportunity to become, to remain functional, but to also be beautiful and unique. As healthcare workers, frontline workers, first responders, this is going to be a long-term endeavor. And there's a lot of things you can do for yourself. Knowing what phase you are in or people you care about and, and are concerned about. Knowing that each of these stages presents its own challenges and difficulties, what they typically are and what works for them is going to be very important, but also getting help. And getting help means that you make those losses count and you memorialize them in who you are and you give them the respect that they deserve. So the losses deserve your respect and you deserve it too. For more information, for resources, look at the show notes. Thank you.